you, Chelsea. Beautiful, beautiful song. And you know, as beautiful as the song was, more beautiful is the truth thereof. How could God love you or me anymore? Scripture says, for scarcely for a righteous man, some would die. You know, some would, there may be someone who would die for someone. But the last part of that passage says this, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God demonstrated his love in Christ Jesus. Thank you very much. I thought as you said when you were little, and you're big now? (laughs) Bigger. Bigger, okay. Book of Galatians, please. Book of Galatians, chapter uh, 5. Brought this message a few weeks back at Wayne Christian School, and it, it hasn't left my heart nor my mind. And neither should Scripture ever leave our heart or our, our mind. It has to do with how you walk, how you live. Those are the two key words that we find in the passage. I'm going to read two verses. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm going to skip a number of verses, and I'm going to drop down to verse 25. Because in these two verses are the the crux, the heart of the message that I I desire to, to communicate this morning. Now, there's an awful lot in between that's good and bad. The good, the bad, and the ugly is in between, verses 16 to 25. The good is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's the good. The bad is the works of the flesh. And I never memorized those. I was too busy practicing those in the unsaved state. But uh, it's not my purpose to to involve ourselves with the works of the flesh. I do want to involve ourselves in the works of the Spirit. The the children's church, did I omit that? The children are gone. Uh, Goodbye, children. (laughs) That... uh... But the, the passage says this, verse 16. I say then, if Paul, if the Bible says something, then it means something. I say then, of course, Paul is the one writing, but God is the one who's inspired him to write. And so God says to us, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you want a catalog of the flesh, read the verses right behind that. And it gives us the the ugly of sin. And then verse 25, after concluding with the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit, verse 25, Paul says, Let us, excuse me, if we walk in the Spirit, let us also, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Two words here. Walk. Live. Verse 16, walk in the Spirit. 
to walk, to understand the word walk here. What is the Bible teaching us? It means to, to walk around. What you're doing every day. Get up in the morning, you put your clothes on, and you begin your activity to walk around. The idea of a full circle. It's the daily life. It means to regulate one's life, to conduct one's life. It indicates continuous action from the time you get up in the morning until you go to bed at night. It has the idea of a lifestyle. It has the idea of a habit. And certainly, we are to have a lifestyle habit of walking in the Spirit. So it, it indicates progress that you should be making in your Christian life. Now, the other word that we see in the passage that I read, verse 25, if we live, we live in the Spirit. Let's get an understanding of what the Bible means here. To live in the Spirit implies passing one's life. That's from the time you trusted Christ, the time you became a Christian. Every day for the rest of your life, you pass that Christian life in a manner of living and acting by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is telling us. And the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Applied to the life is the walk. You see that? Life is long. From birth until death. Walk is daily. And there is a difference between the two, and I trust we will understand this. Walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. For every one of us, there are two ways in which we're going to conduct our lives. Verse 17 of this text says, For the flesh, here's one way of conducting your life, the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh, watch this, these two, the flesh and the Spirit, these two are contrary to one another, so that you... Do not do the things that you wish. Contrast to walking in the Spirit is walking in the flesh, and then he lists, he catalogs the works of the flesh. So in your, in your Christian life, you're going to walk one way or the other. It's that simple. You're going to walk in the flesh, meaning you're going to satisfy what you want for that day. Or you're going to walk in the Spirit and you're going to satisfy the Holy Spirit by living and doing the things that Holy God gives us principles to live by and to walk by in the Scriptures. So we will live by one or the other. Let me emphasize how important that is for us. Pastor Jeremy preached last week from what text? It's going to be on your exam. What text did he use last week? Luke, what chapter? Ah, now we're getting technical. Chapter 4. All right. But three times in chapter 4, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, who 
is equal to God the Father in power, in mind, in action, dependent on the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Luke chapter 4, and I'll just give you these texts. Verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You mean Jesus needed the Holy Spirit? Returned from Jordan? That's not the point. He didn't need the Holy Spirit. He's God, as the Holy Spirit is God. And then the text says in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. What? Jesus conducted His life and His ministry by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then again in verse 18, Luke 4, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me. Remember the text from Isaiah? That Jesus took the book, opened the book, read the text, and concluded, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, you can find other passages in the Gospels. I thought I'd use that as an illustration this morning so that you and I can see that if the Lord Jesus took advantage of, lived by, needed the Holy Spirit, who do you think you are, Christian? Who do I think I am to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I don't need you today. I don't need the Holy Spirit today. That's a foolish way to live. Calling yourself Christian. And, and it, it puts me down when I consider this. He didn't need the Holy Spirit. But yet, he depended upon the Holy Spirit. I suppose I could say it this way. In his deity, he didn't need the Holy Spirit, but to teach us according to his human flesh, he depended on the Holy Spirit. We don't have that deity that Christ had, but we've got that human flesh that he had. And if he depended upon the Holy Spirit, then who am I? I want us to, to learn a few things this morning about this, the, the walking in the Spirit, the purpose uh, the provision of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of the Holy Spirit, and then we want to make some application to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the privilege of speaking this morning. I do pray that the Holy Spirit might take control of my thoughts, the process of which I speak, my mind will be fixed upon Christ. My mind will be directed by the Holy Spirit and those who listen to me this morning. That the same Spirit that speaks through me today will be the one to instruct your children. That they might know how to walk and to live as according to what you have given us of your Spirit. So bless us, I pray, in Christ's name. Proposition, challenge. The challenge is this, that you must walk in the Spirit and live in the Spirit if you're to live godly lives. Did you hear what I said? You want to live a godly life? 
You cannot do it apart from the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul is writing in these two verses in Galatians chapter 5. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. To this end, God gave the church the Holy Spirit. We'll see the difference in the message of the church age and the Old Testament, the law, the age of law. Turn to John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit coming was an answer to Jesus' prayer, John chapter 17. The Holy Spirit, Christ understanding that his disciples need help. Now, this is the night before his crucifixion, John chapter 14. And Jesus says this, he's in the upper room personally with 11 of the disciples. Possibly at this time, Judas has gone out. But he's preparing these 11 men for life and what's ahead of them. You're talking about a crash course in theology. They had a crash course. When I read those chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it is so full of what Christ is trying to prepare 11 men to do. And these 11 men, at that point, are very weak. They're going to fail the next morning. They're all going to do what? Abandon Christ at Calvary? You say, I'd never do that. Lord, I'd be right there. No, you wouldn't. They weren't. But he had told them what was happening. And so verse 16, Jesus is praying. I will ask the Father. This is his prayer. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another help or his instructions. He'll give you another helper, that he may be with you, how long? Isn't that tremendous? So catch that. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. We'll use that point in a moment. Verse 17, that is, who's this helper? That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But watch this next sentence. But you know him, because he abides with you, and will be in you. Abides and in. Catch those two words. So what was the purpose then of this provision that Christ was giving? Look at chapter 16. Turn, flip the page. He was given to you to be a personal guide in your life. And thus verse 13 says, But, now, when the Spirit of truth comes, indication that He's not yet come at that time in the fullness of which He's going to come in the book of Acts in chapter 1. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll do something for you. He will guide you into some truth, all truth. Not part of it, but all truth. 
I think of Paul writing, 1 Corinthians, a natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He can't know these things. These things are spiritually discerned. He goes on to say, but, but the, the spiritual man has discernment. When you read the Bible, you understand the Bible because the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Now, you learn principles to interpret the Bible, but apart from the Holy Spirit in your life, it's just academics. It means absolutely nothing to change your life. And so the provision of the Holy Spirit was an answer to Jesus' prayer. He prayed, Father, give them another spirit. It was given for the purpose of guiding his disciples. And my, did he ever guide his disciples after Acts chapter 1 and throughout the church age. Now, who is this person that we call the Holy Spirit? The person of the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Every time we sing this song, I, I note that one across there. Randall, we got a correction to make there. Father, Son, Father, Spirit, Son. We got to put a comma in there, all right? Uh, if, you, if you read it like it is, Father, Son, Spirit, you might think, well, they're all one. No, they are three different entities. Yet one in purpose, in power, in direction. For God, from the time he created the earth until throughout eternity, which has no end. Father has a purpose. Spirit has a purpose. Jesus Christ has a purpose. Now, you want me to give you all the details so you can understand that? I can't do it. But I can sure tell you one thing. Everything I read in Scripture points to the truth of it. I believe it. Another, another of these thoughts. I guess it's really become my favorite passage of Scripture. I'll let you quote it for me. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. You know, the rest of that passage, though, says this. I, I very seldom ever quote the rest of that passage, but the things that are revealed belong to us, that we might do them. Obedience is what he's talking about. So he's the third person of the triune Godhead. He is the Holy Spirit. He possesses all of the attributes and the deity of God the Father or God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is that person that produce, that that possesses all of these attributes. Well, how do you know that? Well, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, he's called God. Chapter 5, book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, they've just done a no-no. What did they do? They lied. They lied. They lied to, to God. And watch this. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Verse 4. While this land, it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You didn't have to lie about this. You could have said what part you were giving to God. 
And so he says, wasn't it yours to dispose of as you wanted to? And then the question, why is it that you have contrived this in your heart? Now catch this last phrase. You've not lied to men, but to God. He's called God. Verse 3, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, he's called God. The Holy Spirit is God, equal to the Father. He possesses the attributes that only God has. He's omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. And uh, I quoted that passage. Uh, a minute ago, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, uh, what, what no eye has seen, that's future, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. How do I know? There's a heaven. Just because the Bible, it does speak of heaven. But how do I know it's truth? The Holy Spirit says, know it. Believe it. And when I read passages like Romans 8, uh, 31, whom he justified, them he also, past tense, glorified. How do I know that? Holy Spirit teaches that to me. He's called God. He knows everything. I think of Psalm 139. David, where can I go from your spirit? He's omnipresent. David could go nowhere. He says, if I make my bed in the grave, he's there. If I go up into the heavens, he's there. He's he's present everywhere all of the time. Omniscient, omnipresent. And I don't need to say anymore, what's his name? Holy Spirit. God is holy. The Bible says, very distinctly so, God is holy. And Peter said, so be you and me holy. We act out the same attribute that God. Not perfect holiness for you and I, but God's holiness is without flaw. The Spirit is holy, and just as God the Father is holy, He's the Holy Spirit. Nothing impure about Him at all in any respect. That is His person. Now what about His power? What has the Holy Spirit done? If you read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, verse 2 is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God moved upon the dark. The Holy Spirit was as much involved in creating the earth as God the Father was in those six days of creation. The Spirit of God moved upon this. Jesus Christ was involved in the creation just as much as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit book of Colossians says, uh, without him, nothing was made that was made. So you see the three working, the power of creation, but the Holy Spirit has the power of regeneration as well. 
Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He regenerates everyone who comes to Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this text. Verse 5 says, He saved us, Jesus. Jesus saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done, but in righteousness, but according to His mercy. According to the mercy of God, according to the mercy of Christ, we're saved. But watch how it happens. I continue to read. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Regenerate means to birth again. How are we born again? Jesus told Nicodemus, he illustrated with the wind. The wind blows where it will and you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. But we're born of the Holy Spirit. We hear the message of the gospel. Now don't don't think it's going to happen without the message of the gospel. Okay? I emphasize that. The message of the gospel is the key to salvation. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. When you believe that message... The Holy Spirit did the work of regeneration. Something happened inside of you. And it was the work of the Spirit of God. That's His power. Now I like verse 6 of that text where the text says, Whom He, Jesus, poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Let me back up. Who I see all three persons of the Trinity working here. The He is God, the Father. I, I, I misinterpreted. He, God, poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who did He pour out upon us richly? The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the believer. And He has that power to regenerate. Now, note with me the privilege of the Holy Spirit. Let's illustrate this by Old Testament, New Testament. Okay? There's a, there's a vast difference in the working of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did this. He simply came upon the person that God had a job for. We, we find this in David's prayer. Psalm chapter 51, what is David's prayer about? What's the context of David's prayer? He's done two bad things in his life. Number one, he has committed adultery. And number two is murder. He not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he had Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, murdered. Had him slain. Now listen to David's prayer. Now this is after David is under such deep conviction that, uh, and rightfully so, any person who is, has done any sin comes under conviction. But listen, listen to David's prayer. 51.11 Do not cast me away from your presence. 
Now watch this next phrase, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember what I read in John 14 a minute ago? The Holy Spirit will be with you and will be in you. David was not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And you know the Bible calls David a man after his own heart. David said, because of his his sin and iniquity, take not your Holy Spirit from me. David knew it was possible for for the power that he had displayed in all of his triumphs and all of the things that had pleased God, that it was possible for the Holy Spirit to leave him. Now, you say, well, where, where do you see this? Listen to what happened to King Saul in the dynasty of Israel, who was the first king, King Saul, who was the second king, David and then Solomon, and then a bunch thereafter. King Saul had failed to do what God wanted him to do. Now, what happened to King Saul? I'll read. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Verse 14, what happened to Saul? The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Spirit, Holy Spirit left him. Now this next phrase is awful. For the next phrase in verse 14 says this. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul lost all of the connection to the Spirit of God. And from that day on, I don't ask me to explain all of that, but there was an evil spirit that plagued King Saul for the rest of his life. You say, oh Lord, don't let that happen to me. That's not going to happen to you, okay? That's Old Testament. Now let's talk about New Testament. In the New Testament, he indwells. So never pray what David prayed in Psalm 51, 11. It's impossible. Holy Spirit's not going to leave you. He's always going to be there in you to lead, to guide, and to direct you. So let's see what happens in in the New Testament. Jesus, John 14, 17, again, I read, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him, you know Him, disciples, because He abides with you, notice, and will be in you. Future tense. That didn't happen until Acts, the book of Acts. And so in Acts chapter 2, what happened? They're in the upper room. How many is there? 120. And the Spirit of God, like a flame of fire, descends upon them. And from that moment on, these disciples, what Jesus had said would happen in John 14, did happen. They were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And every believer thereafter. 
That's his work in the New Testament. Understand that. That's the privilege you have, my brother, my sister. So before you become too hard on some of these Old Testament characters, you realize they were operating without many things. They were operating without the completed Word of God. You have it. And I have it. They were operating with the, with the fact of the possibility of the Holy Spirit departing from them. And he did. King Saul. David said, Lord, no, please, don't let that happen to me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, my brother, my sister. We live in a different dispensation. We live in different times, the privilege. Now, let me talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to quickly name several things. Number one, He sealed you. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 30. says, you were sealed, past tense. The moment you name Christ, it doesn't say you are going to be sealed. It says you were, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Then chapter 4 and verse 30, Paul writes there, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you, have, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave you, but you can sure disappoint Him. And when, when you, you as a parent understand what I'm going to say, when your child goes out, into sin, untruth, or whatever it might be, we as parents grieve. When you as a believer walk contrary to the Word of God or the will of God, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He seals you. He's never going to leave you. All right? He's in you to do what? Uh, Chelsea mentioned it. To fill you. Chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writes, be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that is, that is a command the way it's written there. Be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we could say a lot about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We don't have time for that. So, his purpose is to fill you, and I want to bring it down to practical application. Galatians 5, again. What is the product of the Holy Spirit in your life? How can I know you are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? How can you know you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? By the fruit that He is producing in you. All right? If you're walking in the Spirit, if you're living in the Spirit, here's what your life looks like. Verse 22, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it looks like to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. 
That's what your life will look like. Love, joy, peace. When people get on your nerves, long-suffering. When you want to kill somebody, gentleness. When things just aren't right, goodness. When you're sure you're going to pop somebody in the nose, self-control. God did not leave us orphans. He left us this person. And the product is his fruit. And the person in you is you're to walk daily. You're to live your life constantly under his direction by him as he produces in you. Now, where does this fruit take place? Let me name a few places. Christians, it takes place in the home. In your house is where it takes place. The husband, the wife, and the children who name the name of Christ. Where else does it take place? It takes place in the church. When a church is divided and squabbling, it is not producing the fruit of the Spirit, but it is walking by the what? Flesh, walking by the flesh. And I'm not going to name all of those. You go home and read those. Men, ladies, and children in the church. Church filled with the Spirit is a beautiful place to be. I don't know what it is, but I can almost tell you when I walk into a new church whether the Spirit of God is there or not. And I'm not talking here about feelings, but it's something about the warmth of a church. Or some churches you walk in, could, you, could, you could keep frozen meat in and it would never thaw out. That's, that's sort of a mystery, isn't it? But you know it from the very moment you come in. He produces his fruit in the church. He produces his fruit in the workplace. You can't come to church on Sunday and say, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit, and be angry and go to work tomorrow. It don't work that way. It bothers me that the American workforce is an angry group of people. Tell me who's happy with their job. Tell me Christians who are happy with their job. They're not displaying walking and living in the Spirit. Because He doesn't change in the home, in the church, in the workplace. Kids, when you go to school tomorrow, teenagers, when you go to school tomorrow, He's there to produce fruit. He's in you to produce fruit. And you want to rise up as that no good teacher? That's not love. And it's certainly not long-suffering. Remember this, the Bible says tribulations works patience. God created teachers to bring tribulation into your life so you can be patient. <laughs> so you can demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, all right? In the play place, wherever you go, fruit of the Spirit is there. He's there in every Christian, be male or female, 
be old or young, the Bible is clear. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So think about this. You are to be led daily by the Holy Spirit of God, producing His fruit so that you can make a difference in an angry world. If an unsaved world sees the works of the flesh in you, they don't want nothing to do with you, your church, nor what you say you believe. But if an unsaved world sees the fruit of the Spirit in you, they'll come up beside you one day and they'll say what Peter told us to tell them. They'll say, what makes you different? And you're not going to say, well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the wrong, wrong picture. You're going to say, the Lord Jesus Christ came into my life and saved me. And He's given me the power to live every day. Now, later on you can tell them that's the fruit of the Spirit. They've got to be discipled and grow. So wherever you are, whether the home, the workplace, the classroom, your room, and I might could spend some time there. What do you do in your room alone when nobody's looking? I don't want to meddle. What about the computer room? Wow. Mm. What are you doing there? Did I miss any rooms? Living room. What are you doing in the living room when you and he are alone and you're not married? (laughs) I used to have to run my son-in-law off. Every, every, every other day or so, listen, I'm going to tell on him. He and Shay got more sleep in the living room. I'd have to get up after a while. They're both in the living room. He's on the couch sleeping and she's in a chair sleeping. That's courtship for them. <laughs> and I'd say, Stephen, it's about time for you to go home, son. And they did all right for themselves, have they not? We are proud of both of them now. And the 16-year-old and the 14-year-old is a product. Now they are repeating exactly what we had to do. Ha, I love that. That's fun. Bryce, you listening to me? Question. Are you walking in the Spirit? I can tell by how you react under certain given things that come into your life. I can tell. Are you living by the Spirit? This is what the Bible is teaching us. If you aren't living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, Spirit's not controlling your life, you don't have these 
things that I spoke of, I have one word that will correct it all. You say, it's that simple? It is that simple. And that one word is this, repent. God knows it already. Just change your mind about it. And he who indwells you will now empower you. And you'll like what he's doing. And other people around you will like what he's doing in your life. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the blessings of God. Lord, not only did you give us salvation free by the grace that you provided through the mercy of your own love, the grace that saves. God, you gave us the fullness of your Holy Spirit. He's there whether we take advantage of him or not. I'm afraid many times we do take advantage of him, and that's not to walk with you, not to live a life that's pleasing. We get in the flesh. Anger pops, comes out. We get in the flesh. The old things that we've once been delivered from, we fall right back into those things. We get in the flesh and we doubt the power of God in our lives. Father, help us to repent. The same Spirit who is in us to lead us and to fill us, instruct us. Let Him speak to my heart, O Father. Let Him speak to the heart of this congregation of which we've had the privilege of of speaking to today. And let the fruit that He produces, it's not our fruit, no, it's His. But it comes through us, Father. Where we are unlovely, let love take control. His fruit. Love, goodness, where we are sometimes ugly to one another. Gentle. Let His gentleness come in. Give us patience with one another. His his patience working through us. And then God, when, when we are at the point of the last straw of our life, and we, we think we know something is going to just kick us back into that old life. Let his fruit be there of self-control. He controlling us that we'll give our life to him. Thank you, Father. We have everything we need for holiness, for righteousness, We have everything we need through Him for getting along wherever we might be. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I thank you in the name of Christ who prayed to you, you gave Him, and now He works. Help us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.